Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. Uh, Dan will be with us next uh, time. Today is, you know, over the last, you know, maybe two years, maybe more since COVID, one thing that's kind of percolated up for many schools and many of us is this idea of well-being. I think COVID uh, pushed us into some areas and experiences that were challenging. Everybody had a different context, dealt with it differently, but there was no doubt it was challenging and kind of impacted our well-being, be it physical or mental. And nowadays, when you look at a lot of social media posts about schools and international schools, there's a lot of talk about teacher well-being. There's been a lot of talk about administrators, uh, leadership well-being and, you know, leaders burning out and this idea of burnout. And we've had the pleasure of having Dr. Helen Kelly twice to talk about burnout and teacher and uh, leadership uh, well-being. And I think one thing that often as we're caught up in our own understanding of well-being and that of leaders and educators, there is a whole other group that we serve every day, and those are our students. And well-being, too, has had an impact on them. And in different contexts, be it public schools, national schools, private schools, everybody, every student dealt and navigated uh, COVID and the post-COVID. And I think that's really where well-being is coming up, is kind of the post-experience. We're kind of taking stock and breathing and reflecting on this. And suddenly we're saying, oh, these are some things that we really need to consider. But today I'm really very excited because I have three guests that have very generously uh, agreed to come and talk to us about this topic. The first is Aaron, who's a professor at the University of Kentucky and has published over 150 articles, books and chapters on this topic. Then we have uh, Mo, who is the Director of Community Engagement at the American Community School in Amman and does a lot of work as an Athletic and Activities Director in, and the Director of Community Engagement in this area. And of course, uh, Leticia, who is at the International School of Phnom Penh, Cambodia, who is a primary year uh, program teacher and has extensive experience in this environment and has worked internationally and will bring up about a lot of perspectives that I think will be really helpful. So first of all, all three of you, thank you so much. Uh, it's so kind of you to take the time. We're in three different parts of the world. That's what I love about this podcast. We have Aaron in Kentucky. We have Leti, who's in Cambodia, and Mo, who's in Jordan. So it feels very international. So thank you very much. And really, I'm going to start off with Aaron, maybe. Tell us why suddenly well-being has become, I'm not going to say a la mode or popular, but there's much more talk about it maybe than prior. Not that well-being was never addressed, but somehow it's become far more commonly as a focus point for schools. And there has been a lot of talk about it. Tell us a bit about that transition and why we might be here today. Uh, thank you, John, for organizing this. This is uh great opportunity for us to share some of these ideas. Um, I think the, you know, during COVID, I, I, whether you call them single, single subjects or specials, art, music, technology, physical education, all we started to really realize, wow, these are essential in our lives and how much we can uh, joy and, and, and mental clearing our head, those types of things that can happen for us. And I think we saw it with our students as well and that they need this. 
that they need these activities. We were seeing it, and, and the research has been out for quite a while about this, that we were seeing that we needed, students needed these activity breaks. I think COVID really helped bring that to to light. And as you said, uh, what our hope is, is that it doesn't become the latest and greatest thing in education, that it becomes something that sticks and something that, yeah, we might move on and, and address other things, but the need for physical activity in the lives of students stays around. And I think that's kind of where it has come from. And, and I guess Mo and Letty will probably have ideas as well as what they're seeing in their schools. Thank you, Aaron. Letty. Yeah, um, for me, it's not just the well-being from the perspective of the physical activity, but also from the mental health and the social and the interaction. I think what we were really missing is that we realized that we are social animals and we need to move. And we, we couldn't get out of our houses or we couldn't be with others and we had to be constantly in front of those devices. We needed to go outside and we were looking out for nature, for movement, for being with others, for uh, feeling well again and, and not being sick. So all those things um, made us reflect and realize that how important it is to actually move, play, uh, discover, explore around, have fun with others, and the small things became like really big things. Thank you, Letty. Mo? Um, I'm, I'm just going to echo what Aaron and Letty mentioned, but I will more mention it through like the personal experience and running um, an activities department uh, here at ACS Oman. It, the, the number of participants in and during the, the pandemic and post-pandemic has increased. And it's just naturally people found that their the the focus on the academia and the focus on the on the cognitive like the tension that, that happens cannot happen easily without making sure your body's you know tended to and, and well cared for. And and then of course the social part and the social aspect that people people you know, kind of were, were so away from each other for a while and then one, they, they were thriving to, to, to be connected. So um, it, it, I think that post-pandemic post or during the pandemic, people realized that this, this connection, that connections is so important and then the connection of body and mind is so important. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting that you all kind of refer to that idea about, you know, to be cognitively engaged, there needs to be that balance with the body and the mind. One thing is, you know, when we uh, turn to COVID, and this is not about COVID, but one thing which is interesting, and I think Letty, you mentioned it, and Aaron did too, there are certain subjects that lent themselves maybe better to that transition of online. If you're teaching social studies or history or math or physics, yeah, there might be less experiments, but the content somehow lent itself maybe. But what's interesting, and I really, I, I want to applaud many physical education teachers around the world. It was just amazing what people were doing. They were having virtual Olympics and, you know, exercise in the room and everything. Do you think since then, and I'm going to turn to Mo, do you think that actually the approach of physical education, and you mentioned activities, has changed based on that learning? Um, I would say to the positive, of course, it had it had changed. It, there was, uh, like, I, I also taught PE, so I understand that there was, there was not a struggle, but there's, there's always you're trying to push for PE to be a, a holistic uh, subject where you're, you're tackling not just the physical 
part of it. You're looking at the mental, social, emotional uh, parts, and and it, you're you're trying to teach kids whether what whatever age it is to to find all those four aspects within every activity you do, and highlight them. Um, people after the pandemic realized the importance of them more. So there was the, the struggle to push it before. And then now like people are like, okay, no, I, I cannot really function well without my break here of physical activity break that will help jog my you know brain and get me working and doing stuff and so on. So I think it's, uh, yeah, definitely more. Letty, how about you from your perspective? Um, so I feel that lots of us learn a lot during the pandemic. And um, we had to be very creative, as you said, like all of us became very creative, even if we were already creative, we had to just like have any tools to try to engage students and to get them. And from the perspective of physical education, have them moving and getting them away from the computers at the same time, we had to have some sort of uh, evidence of what they were doing. And I can take some of that um, now, but at the same time, I feel like some of us could use some of the things that we created, some of the resources that we created during the pandemic, but some of us might also feel like, oh, <laughs> I want to be away from the computer as much as I can because we spend like all these years in front of the, um, the, the screens and that's not what I want for the kids. So I think it's not just one answer. I think it depends on, on the person. Um, and I think it depends on, on the school, the country. There's so many factors. I, I cannot uh, just say one answer, but for sure we all learn from that. And, and there's like lots of positives and negatives as always. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Aaron. Yeah, I, I, I think the, an interesting piece of this, how we, during pandemic, at whatever level you were teaching, you you got a glimpse into the students' lives that we would have never gotten before. And you found out what their pets were doing or, you know, what they, you know, they laid on the, they laid their head on the pillow as they watched it, you know, the videos and those types of things that I'm a firm believer that we have to connect to, to, to build and build relationships to teach. And I think that was, it's interesting how we've really seen that, that teachers have a totally different perspective to this day on students based on seeing them, seeing what they're, you know, you met their whole family, whether you wanted to or not, you know, those types of things that that uh, so true. Um, really impact and, and, and carry over to see, wow, that was important that I knew about her and and carrying that through to to when we get in back face to face to still take the time to get to know her um, is is important. So, Aaron, one thing that I'm curious of, because now as adults, uh, we are more, I would say, generally more aware about well-being. There's much more in the press. There's self-help books. There are diet books. There are jogging books. You hear people that are 90 do 14 big peaks. You know, there's a lot more of that narrative in, in local media and on social media. How much are kids also internalizing their own understanding of well-being? Because, of course, you all are teaching children from the age of three to 18. I'm just curious, how have kids navigated this idea of well-being? What are you seeing from the work? And you do a lot of work with schools around the world, Aaron. Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think for the longest time as a field in physical education, we really struggled to even acknowledge that we were about physical activity. 
that you know we were about skills we were about and now we finally said okay we're about the, the physical activity and leaning towards that and i think that that message is is resonating i used to do tons of work with pedometers and and um with research and, and giving kids those concrete ideas of how active they were and i think we're moving towards and doing a better job of really helping students understand that all activities good activity and doing things like mo and letty are doing in their schools to um, promote physical activity. So it's not just the student that has to do that. It's a whole family environment. It's a community. It's a culture of physical activity in school. So we are leaning and getting towards that. I think it's just starting relative to other things that have been going on in education for hundreds of years, but I, I think we're heading in the right direction. And I like how interesting that is that you bring up the idea that family and a culture of well-being. So the modeling is not only at school, but within the parents and maybe the local community where parents maybe are more mindful about diet, screen time or whatever, or going on walks or doing family sports, bicycles. I just think that's interesting you bringing up that idea. Mo, how about you from your perspective? Uh, I echo what uh, Aaron definitely mentioned about uh, just there's the, right now the, the drive. And I, I, I would say there's also access like the, the for students. And we are facilitating that access a lot more because we also have access. We have the knowledge, like so speaking of all the I mean, we have here locally, we have a, a, a seven, seven summit summit here and so on. And he just when he gave up speech to the students, uh, about his journey, it just ignited that. Oh, I want to. I want to also work hard to be that, and I want to do this. So, there is. Uh, I, I would say when I started my career as a teacher in two thousand and four, the the knowledge about well being and physical activity was not as much. So, and I think the teachers that do well now uh, are the teachers that highlight the access and the, hi the highlight the, the the awesome stuff that are happening and just use them as awesome examples for students to 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 look forward to or to or to tackle. And it doesn't need to be physical activity. I mean, you're you're just mentioning uh, any any realm of uh, of the wellness uh, wellness realm, like whether social, mental, or emotional. It, you need to work on improving that. And kids, kids now are realizing that more and more. Yeah, and I think also the, the idea of access is really interesting that you brought up. And I think also maybe, as you're maybe alluding to the idea of research and, and, and you know, understanding what, how, uh, you know, the bodies and the environment all interact with each other. Letty, in your context, because you also work with primary school children, which might have a different awareness of this than, say, a secondary child. Yeah, so it's a lot of um, working with the families as well, right? As Aaron was saying and more. Um, we talk to the kids about physical activity and sharing what they're doing after school. Um, but another thing that I wanted to mention is that um, I like to ask them when I see somebody uh, being too tired or they, they look like they're tired, I like to ask them, how many hours do you sleep? You know, and just like throw a lesson right there about sleep and healthy habits and, and food and snacks. It's not, so physical activity is so important. We wanna model it, but we wanna model it all other healthy habits as well that are all related. Because once you start eating well, once you start drinking lots of water throughout the day, once you start sleeping enough hours, you feel good. You have enough energy to do all these other activities. Once, if you lack these other things, 
then the kids are tired all the time and then it's harder for them to access other activities because they're feeling tired. They're not eating proper food. They're not um, getting enough energy. They're, and in Cambodia, it's really hot as well. So if they don't drink enough water, they feel more tired. So bring the every day, um, all the kids know they have to bring their hat to pee in case we go outside and they have to bring a water bottle. They have to bring um, proper shoes. So this is part of our pee lesson. It's part of our curriculum, our program, right? They know that um, that's important and it's, it's the, <clears throat> the responsibility to bring that. And then a part of that, we wanna, we try to um, tell them different places where they can be active. We model, um, for example, with the grade fives, we just finished um, a unit of adventure challenges. And this year we, we brought them to uh, rock climbing, wall climbing. And many of the expat kids had been there, uh, but many of the Cambodian kids have never been there. And it was great to hear them saying, oh, I want to come back here. And sometimes the parents, are, they don't have time to be with them or whatever reason, but they can come with their nannies or the drivers. And so it's just modeling those places, showing in those places, modeling those behaviors and, and making sure that physical activity is fun and it's accessible for them. That's great. And I think that's really interesting how you uh, highlighted the difference, you know, expat kids that might have more access and local kids that don't. And often in any economic and cultural context, there are different perspectives of what physical education and well-being are in general. But Aaron, really what we're talking about, we're talking about physical education, but we're really talking about the whole child education. And I'm just wondering, how have schools, because uh, I know in certain countries, and the United States is my point of reference, is that in some schools, they've actually stopped physical education because of budget cuts and things like that. Now, I don't know if that's still the truth, but talk to us a bit about how are schools and leadership teams engaging with this topic? How has this been made a priority when you have all these other priorities? You know, everybody's vying for some airtime or class time. I'm just curious, what have you seen? Is there a change or... How is that being navigated? Um, there's probably two parts to your question. The one with respect to physical education, it really depends on where you go in the country, whether there's this um, kind of established norm that we have physical education and therefore hasn't changed. And, and they still, I mean, all the schools here have physical education. What has changed is the, the frequency of physical education um, instead of, twice per week. Now students have it once every six days, um, those types of things. So they have less. The flip side of that is I think schools are more keen and more aware of the importance of physical activity and integrating it into school days and doing the things that Mo and Letty have talked about. Uh, when I, when I first uh, started doing this research 20 some years ago, if I were to ask a group of Students that are in my, I have, a, I have a class I teach that's for classroom teachers on how to integrate physical activity into their classroom. And if I ask a class of 30, how many have seen physical activity integrated into a school day beyond recess? No one raised their hand. And now wow. every one of them raised their hand. And it, it's not, it, it's, I think the field has started to look at this and say, yes, there are, and, and the research is mounting. I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't have much research on physical activity and anxiety in kids or physical activity as Lottie, uh, Letty mentioned, as far as sleep and, you know, 
improve with your coping and resilience and all these things that we have research on now. So I think that, that we're starting to see that. Some of the teachers that we've worked with and we've done some interventions with, the best quote we've had so far is one teacher said, before I started this, I thought I didn't have time to integrate physical activity. And now I realize I don't have time not to integrate physical activity because of what it does for concentration and behavior problems and those types of things. So it, when we have that data that, that physical activity can meet the needs of the schools and their education and help with the education, as well as the health benefits for, for students, I think that's the win-win and that's what's helped gain traction for that side of the equation. That's so interesting how actually here you have concrete evidence through the research that you shared that there actually is a benefit for learning and even let's say exams or, you know, success within the academic or more cognitive. That's just so great. And I think so often we're until we have that research or we have some really concrete evidence, often we tend to be a little more cautious about it. Letty, I'm wondering, you know, with uh Many children's now we talk about screen time and you know uh, you know in that balance and of course you know everybody has a smartphone and an iPad or whatever device they might have. What have you noticed and how do you navigate that? Because you know you don't control what's happening at home. How do you build that kind of discipline in the kids to be able to think? Oh, I'm going to walk up some stairs or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go and play a game outside. How much do you have control over that? You're on mute, Letty. Sorry. Um, no. I, I don't have the control over that, really, uh, but I'm just modeling um, what, what is that it's important for them. And we see the kids during recess. They're outside. They're playing football. They're playing basketball. They're uh, in the playground. They're up and down the ropes. They're jumping. They're, most of the kids are moving, even if it's hot. And the ones who prefer to be indoors, they, uh, there's like different gyms so, and for different grade levels. So they are moving as well. We, we give them um, balls for them to play indoors and outdoors, they, they bring their own balls and, and, and there's places for them to, to play. And then there are after school activities they can join at school. And then um, during the weekends, the friends, they talk to each other. So. I have two kids and I see my students uh, when I see when I go bring my kids to football, uh, for example, or to Oskik, Aussie rules. Uh, I see other kids playing as well, other kids from the school. Um, so there are kids joining different activities for sure. Uh, we have swimming, we have swim teams and also in grade four and five now um, from a few years back. They're, they're joining like a little league um, in, within the city. So for football and for basketball, so it's like kind of engaging them into um, doing more competitive sports if you want uh, before middle school. So there are lots of opportunities for them, but I can just say it, right? I, I, I don't go, as you said, to their houses and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think what you said is important is if you can model it and there's always a narrative attached to it where there's conversations and even, you know, doing parent evenings. Mo, you know, international schools, especially there's varsity sports, there are team sports. And of course, there's a lot of uh, 
kind of, you know, I'm going to say ego and excitement and, you know, but in most teams, there's an infinite number of people you can have. So if you have like a volleyball team, it's six players, maybe you have four extra or basketball or football or whatever it might be. How do you keep kids that maybe don't make those teams still engaged and sense that, you know, almost self-worth because sometimes I think it's hard for kids. They try for a team and then they don't get in. And the way the, the, the program structured, if you're not in the team, you don't get to play that sport. Or if you're not in that uh, competitive activity, well, guess what? You don't get to be part of it. I'm curious, how are you navigating that? And what are you noticing schools may be doing differently about that and in, in making it more inclusive for everybody? Uh, this is a fantastic question, and I can go on forever talking about it, but uh, it's something <laughs> I'm super passionate of- about it. <laughs> uh, so we we have, we create opportunities as much as possible, and we try, like I, well, first thing is, I'm, I, now I'm the community engagement director, that's a different realm from the acti- uh, activities in athletics, but first, I was named just the activities director to put emphasis on the, the 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 activities that do not require physical activity but you know the um like the, your model united nations and and uh, your work with forensics and debate or speech and debate and and, and drama and so on i mean do they do require some physical activity but not, they're not physically ta- ta- taxing um so there was emphasis on like here you have so many options we can cater for all different uh interests and and abilities and then when it when it comes to the varsity competitive sports we do highlight highlight competition as a very important thing but it's not just that like we the 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 importance happens on 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 being part of the team representing the school well etc etc when it comes to a varsity team and we have trials for example volleyball and we 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 have a squad of 20 and we need to pick 15 or 12 or depending on the coach's uh, discretion usually. Uh, the eight, let's say, that do not get selected get uh, get pushed towards um, either other sports or we, when schedule and resources allow, and I've been in schools and this school allows it as well, when schedule and resources allow, we offer a B team or a development uh, group and that feeds into the, uh, the, the main varsity squad. Um, usually because there's so much social, um, ego involved in it, uh, some kids don't pick that, you know, the, the development team and they, they really get, they, they drift towards the other option that, that maybe they just discover a new thing and they become part of it. And we have a lot of success stories like that. So it's, uh, um, the, I think a successful program is a program that offers a, like a huge variety of different options for students in, in, in the realm of schools we were in. Some schools are, for example, they, they could be, um, we're the swimming school and that's our main focus. And you, if you're a real good swimmer, you, you are on the, you know, you're, you're in this school and you get your scholarships and male, main, most international school, schools I've interacted with kind of follow the lead of what I'm just talking about. They offer all different kinds of options, focus on activities, not just like we are an athletic department. And so focus on, on all different different kinds of options for kids. So so that's how we do it for, for students. And one other realm is we don't offer full year sports. So at some point they have to make a decision and, and like 
oh, but I'm a, I, I love soccer so much and, and, and season ended. So what do I do now? I'm like, I, I just go do something else. And there, there are options for them. That's great. And I think the variety and options, and I like that idea that kids that maybe don't make it have also a B team or a development team. I think that's really an interesting way to go about it. Aaron, when you were uh, talking about, you know, the the relationship between physical exercise and cognition, you brought up the issue of anxiety. And I know there's a lot of talk about obesity in children. And how do you think that now we're looking at physical education more and well-being more also about health? Because very often in, in schools, the health curriculum is facilitated through the physical education department, or there's a component of it. How much is that part of the approach thinking, okay, we also need to address, you know, eating habits, sleeping habits, as like you said, what are you noticing changing or how's that developing? Um, well, I'm, I'm no expert, obviously, in health education. I think the the focus in, in the health side of it is more skills-based and um, developing those skills and decision-making and those types of things that, that, but we can foster that in physical education as well. And, and helping students understand all the role, what we're trying to do, and we're trying to help them foster this idea, guide them on a journey, whatever you want to call it, that physical activity is an important part of their life and why. And if we focus on that you need to be physically active for the health benefits, we know from the research that most people won't sustain their activity. They will sustain their activity if they, if there's some reading, but it's meaningful and it, 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 buy they buy into the to why they're doing the activity and i think that's the same with all health behaviors i mean if the reality is most people that smoke know that they shouldn't smoke and most people that are inactive know that they should be active it's a matter of figuring out ways to tie that into their life and making it an important part of their life and i think both sides physical education and health education are pushing more towards those helping those behaviors as opposed to the old school you know shame you with fitness testing or shame you that you're eating too many calories or shame you that, you know, you, you don't sleep enough and, and those types of things as Letty talked about. It's like, okay, look, yeah, you're not sleeping enough, but let's talk about the reasons why and starting to dig into that and better understanding. Maybe this is education in general that we're moving towards that and, and helping students make the decisions because the reality is when they turn 17 years old or 16 or 18 or whatever it is in your country, we're not there to make the decisions for them anymore. And we have to give them those decision-making skills early on. And I think that's so interesting bringing that up is, is you know, what you're, what I'm understanding is that we need to not only explain the why, but also get them into the behaviors that become intrinsic. Right. Uh, and that intrinsic behavior seems that's where you're going to have the longevity. Because I think you bring up a really good point is once kids maybe are out of an international school setting or a public school setting where there is more infrastructure and op opportunities. When you go into the workplace, then there usually isn't a team or, you know, there might be a yoga class or meditation class. And I'm wondering how much Letty, you know, and, and, and Mo in your schools, have you noticed going with the approach that Aaron talks about have you noticed that greater success? Is that something that you focus on concretely as the way you teach, giving them the, the motivating them to be intrinsically motivated to develop those disciplines, Letty? Yeah, you know, I am really trying uh, 
to bring meaningful PE into my lessons, that approach of what is relevant for the students, what is fun, what is something that they're they're really going to buy into. And, and I think that's the way, trying to really ask those questions, um, not whatever I want to teach them, not whatever the curriculum is for them, is what is the students? What are they, what, what is what they want? What, how can I support them, right? So trying to find the connections and it all starts with the relationships and building those relationships as we know. So getting to know the students, letting them getting to know you as well as a teacher and, and helping them understand how important is this instead of just telling them and repeating the same message as Aaron was saying. It's not about us telling them, it's them understanding why is it important for them to, to have those healthy habits? Why is it important for you to just not have your plate yellow and red, right? When, when you eat, you have French fries and you have a little bit of ketchup and of, of a fried chicken, right? Get some colors in your plate, put some vegetables in there, but get the vegetables that you are going to eat, not the vegetables that you're going to put there for me and then you're going to throw away. Right, so it's just this idea of building those habits, and then uh, it becomes natural. But it's yeah, absolutely. Just, I'm, I'm myself, it's also with the parents. It has to be a connection. It has to be a team with the with the families. Yeah, and I think that relationship with parents is so important that you bring up Mo. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm gonna go to the modeling part again, and one like I'm, I'm a big advocate of like myself engaging in physical activity as much as possible in in within, you know, within of course the 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 parts where I'm not really uh, my, my body is not totally being battered, <laughs> but um, so modeling would be one and then offering incentives uh, just, just to give them that little push. Uh, so students love that and, and, and say, Hey, by the way, if you do, let's say if we, um, if you get engaged in this physical activity, this is your incentive. I can't make up a nice example now, but uh, um, what, that little push or, or modeling it would be, would be amazing. And then I use that with my students, with my kids, my own nine-year-old and five-year-old and, and they, they love physical activity because we love it in the house and we model it. We exercise a lot. So, and then the, the part, Letty, you mentioned about uh, the parents being partners. I think that's phenomenal because the kids just do not know what is the best case scenario for them in terms of the health benefits of, of everything. So they need that incentive and the, and, and, and the, and the push. So we model it at home as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that thing modeling, it's just so interesting. I'm just going back to my time at physical education where we were thrown into a cold pool. And, you know, there was this, it was very much about, you know, can you suffer and then survive? <laughs> you know, or like, and, and it was very hierarchical. There were always the kids that did really well and the rest of us were on the corner, you know. So it, it's just so refreshing to hear that because I think, and both of my children were very privileged to go through international schools and their experiences were very different than maybe what my wife and I experienced that where it was very competitive or if you weren't in the competing team, then you just didn't do anything. So I, I just really refreshing to hear those perspectives that you're sharing. Uh, Letty and Mo both talked about this parent relationship. Aaron, what are you seeing in, in the work that you work with, you know, uh, 
in teacher education and also do a lot of research on the subject, the relationship between parents, students, and physical education, and how, how is that changing? What are you seeing nowadays? Well, I think, um, as most of are probably aware, parents are a little more involved in education than they used to be. I don't, I, there's, I just, I'll just smile at that. That's all I'll say. Um, I have a doctoral <laughs> student actually in, uh, in the, it works in international schools in Korea. And she was interested in this whole idea of helicopter parenting or snowplow parenting, where they're just plowing the way for their kids. Not a lot of research on it, by the way, related to physical activities she found out, but, um, I think parents are more involved. I think that our job as educators is to leverage that for the positive as much as we can. Um, not get so focused on that one parent that's constantly bothering us and let that be the reason we don't want to get parents involved because the reality is we only have them how many hours a day and, and that relationship with parents is important. And with respect to physical activity and physical education, as Letty and Mo have talked about, I think I, it's it's extremely important for them to see and get a get the, a seamless message from what happens at school and what happens at home that we don't come home and just play video games all the time and sit down and do nothing that we do go out and we do engage and we're active and we go into the community we go to a farmer's market and we walk there we you know just little things like you know we walk to the grocery store if you can as opposed to driving your car or those types of that we can start to integrate that. And, and I think the important piece of that is schools educating parents on how we're interpreting it, because as you talked about, John, most parents, their experiences weren't consistent with what we're trying to advocate for with student having say, et cetera. When you invite parents into the PE right now, almost every time you come in, parents will say, that wasn't what PE was when I was in school. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's totally different. And we're not in lines and standing there doing calisthenics and then jumping into a cold pool that we're trying to get the parents. So we have this seamless message and the parents understand, you know, it's not just, you, you don't have to go run a mile and do push-ups. That's so typical. That's what, when, when, a, when a parent hears we're trying to promote activity, they're like, well, I wasn't good at the mile and I don't like push-ups, so I'm not going to buy into that. And as educators, I think we need to simultaneously prepare the teacher or prepare the um, the parents for the same message that the students are receiving. That's so important that you're bringing that up because, yeah, the parents' point of reference is something quite different, you know. And I think, uh, you know, parent education. Mo, and then let you, Mo, tell me about, about parent education. How big of that, you know? Very likely when there are parent conferences, you don't have long lines of people coming to the physical education department. They're going to see the physics teacher, the math teacher, and the language teacher. But how do you get parents engaged? Because what Aaron is saying is really important. We need to interpret, uh, well, we, physical education educators and health educators, really need to kind of translate that narrative in a way that parents make a connection and then support you. What are you doing in your context? So that's another like something that we we all need to jump onto like head, head first and talk about celebration of every single thing that happens in the class that is a little bit positive and 
And back to, I think Letty mentioned about building relationships with individuals. So you, 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 you foster that relationship with the child. They, they, they move from one, one spot to another, regardless where they are on, 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 the, on, the, on the spectrum in, in terms of physical activity or whatever you're looking for. They move from A to whatever, however much they move forward. You celebrate that. You celebrate it with the parents and it and and being visible and accessible and having those hallway conversations and having those um, just at dismissal you just see the parents oh by the way uh, Johnny did amazing today in this and uh, that reinforces it uh, big time that creates more of a conversation with the with the parent about like oh yeah if they're they're getting better at this what can I do to to make them get you know to improve further and and how can I support the physical education teacher uh, in, in, in their journey. Um, and then in, it, it's amazing that right now, because of what we're doing in PE, in, in ACS, Amman, they, uh, the lines are actually bit bigger because everybody's intrigued. Um, we're, not, we're not about the push-ups and, 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 and the fitness <laughs> testing, and we're, not, uh, we're, we're about just that, that holistic, uh, <laughs> holistic approach to PE. And how, what does it do for you socially? What does it do for you me mentally? So the P PE teachers here are doing a phenomenal job doing pushing, pushing for that. Fantastic. Letty, you already talked a bit about this. What are you doing? Because you were saying you had this uh, connection with your children being in a community event and you're talking to, you know, uh, students. How How is this parent narrative? Do you think maybe in primary parents are more curious or you also have some of the uh, you know, creative tensions of trying to get interest in what you're doing uh, to parents, out to parents? So um, a little bit of both. This is my seventh year at the school. So I get to know lots of the students, the siblings, so I know the parents already. Um, also because my kids are in elementary, I know the parents because they're friends of my kids or they're in the same class. Um, also I coach different sports, so that's why I, I get to talk to the parents. I see them at, the, at this missile. For example, this Saturday, um, there was a, a grade three and kindergarten party organized by some parent leaders, and we were at school uh, watching the volleyball, and and so my kids just joined. They're in grade five and, and grade two, but they, they were siblings, so they could play with the kids. And I was talking to the parents. I like, I'm also like a communicator. I like to engage with parents. Um, we also have the three-way conferences where the parents come and the teachers ask them to go see the specialist teachers. So after they go see the homeroom teachers, they come and see us so we can discuss with the, with the parents. We haven't had that yet, but it's coming up. Um, so there are opportunities at school for the parents who are not always showing up to come and see the teachers. But I'm, a, I'm also like somebody who's out there and likes to talk to the parents and see them and um, connect. Or they know me as well, or maybe because of their kids. So, for example, the other day there was a new, new parent and he said, oh, um, you're the PE teacher. My, my daughter just talks a lot about you. I said, oh, yeah, uh, you're an Olympic gymnast, because that was, that was, that's what the, the daughter said. No, 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 I'm not an Olympic. I was a gymnast. <laughs> but, you know, so it's all building those relationships, right? And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it's it so starts. true, Letty. 
It's so true. It's, you know, being visible, you know, so often at, at the end of the day or in the corridor or little anecdotes. It's amazing how when you make those connections, parents really appreciate it. And really th that kind of gets them interested. And then they're talking about it in the home. So you're, you're getting that kind of advertising or that promotion within the home environment. So one of the things is you, you're all sharing these, you know, I think very insightful observations, but schools make policies, schools make rules. And of course, there's curriculum time. And uh, Aaron, you talked about, you know, PE every six days in certain public uh, environments. And, and I think in international schools, that's not the case. What are you noticing about policies towards this area of well-being, health and physical education? And then maybe talk to us, what could school leaders do better? What could they do to amplify this? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a colleague. We just did a, a paper on, on policies in physical education, at least in the U.S. It's a pretty, um, uh, what should I say, new area. It's researching the policies and looking at the policies and how strong they are and, and, and what ends up happening with the policy. Um, one of the things that I've known or have done and seen throughout my career is with anything, whether it's a policy or a, a new approach, whatever, I think it's important that administrators get support from the teachers and listen to the teachers and, and get their ideas as opposed to a top-down model where it says all of a sudden, yes, you have to do activity breaks in your classroom and they have had no experience with that. I think that's, uh, it's one way to do it. I think you probably have more success rather than have a a written policy that goes through all these creating the culture that, you know what, I'm the administrator and I say it's okay to, to integrate. I say it's okay to give kids 10 minutes extra recess, especially when you do it strategically because you know that they're getting fidgety or that you know that they're having behavior problems or you know it's the, it's the uh, Friday before Halloween and good luck trying to get them to focus, you know, those types of things, give them a little bit extra time and, and, and empower teachers and tell teachers, you know what, we trust you that you're going to make the best decision for your students. You're the professional. And yeah, you know, your students and you know that they can integrate a little bit. You can, you can probably integrate a little bit of physical activity. And we have the research that shows that if you add more activity, then it doesn't decrease their academic performance and, and academic achievement. So we have that. It's just a matter of empowering teachers to make those choices. And then when you start empowering teachers to make those choices, then becomes a little bit of competitiveness with teachers and students are walking by one classroom and see the kids being active. And they're like, uh, how come we don't get to do that? And, you know, they start to put pressure on their teachers and the teachers start to get creative and there's tons of resources out there. So the policy piece of it is, is relatively new. Um, but I think a, a approach for administrators is to create that culture that you trust the teachers, that you empower the teachers to make those decisions because they know when their students knew it. I think you have to provide them a little bit of education to show them that, yes, it does help, um, which I, I haven't been in a school in a long time that doesn't have at least one or two teachers that integrate physical activity and have great success with it. So you have that yeah, modeling. Absolutely. It's built in. Yeah, and I, I I love the the approach you're saying is really empowering teachers to make that rule that you know ten extra minutes recess and and those things giving that flexibility because if you're a teacher and as you say we'll use the uh, anecdote of Halloween you're the best one to know where kids are feeling if you're an administrator you might not be in that classroom when that's happening so that definitely uh, I think makes a lot of sense 
Letty, what about you as a phys ed teacher also modeling this for staff and leadership teams? Because, you know, well-being, uh, you know, and, and schools, you see now there's mindfulness at lunch. There might be a walk or even some yoga. And now, you know, HR departments are trying to promote that. And I'm wondering how much are you involved as a physical education and health teacher in those kind of activities to promote this beyond the classroom and then within your own school? Yeah, so actually, um, I am the wellness leader at school. So um, I, I try to do as many things as we can to promote physical activity and well-being. And, and our idea is to help the teachers to be well so they can be the best for the students. Um, so some of the things we did during the pandemic, and I know we go back to the pandemic, but we did online physical activities. And so they were free. And so we had yoga, uh, a yoga teacher, we had fitness, and we had African dance. And there were different times, and people could just join whenever they wanted. I mean, depending on the schedule. But it was throughout the week, different days and different hours. And that led us to actually start doing that physically when we came back. Uh, to school, and we still do, um, now we have yoga twice a week for teachers and staff after school, and uh, we have uh, boxing. So this keeps on going. Then during the PD days, we um, have an hour of wellness that we were so happy to gain. That's great. Uh, the admin understood the importance of well-being within the day. And so many people has approached us and said, thank you so much. This makes my PD day much better. Uh, that's how I, you know, like very positive um, comments about the PD day because of the hour of wellness where we have all sorts of physical activities. We opened the gyms. We had, uh, we had and, and we empower people to lead the activities because it's for the whole school. All yeah. the way from uh, the AY to to high school, right? So all the teachers and staff. Um, we invite everybody. So we have had teachers teaching the gardeners how to swim. How amazing is that, right? Like That's we have, so it empowers both ways. It empowers the teacher to do something. There's a um, local teacher who was teaching Taekwondo. He said, can I do the Taekwondo lesson? Oh, please. You know, so it empowers the leader and, and it helps others to socialize, to try something new with done goal, with that. I mean, like there were like 30 activities. And sometimes people feel like nobody's saying that for my tory. It's normal. There's so many that no one join <laughs> another one. So mindfulness, so, so many things. <laughs> I love the idea of having a wellness hour within PD because, you know, there's only so many Google slides we can watch in a day, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> So I think that's wonderful. And I love the anecdote of teaching staff. You know, when we think of staff, it's also uh, the people behind the scenes, you know, they're taking care of the grounds, or maybe cooking our meals or taking care of the security or in the offices. So I absolutely, that really just resonates. And that's so nice. Thank you for sharing that. Mo, in your role as director of engagement, you very likely have this community role. How much are you trying to get parents staff? You know, are there like community events where there's sports and wellness where you're trying to bring parents in as well? How important might that be in, in promoting this philosophy? 
this is this is my life now so definitely <laughs> Good question, uh, yeah yeah great question so i partner with the parent uh, teacher group the ptg here um, pta or whatever equivalent it is so work direct uh, very close to them uh, we align calendars um we have uh, also the director of uh, the the health health center here uh, is on the wellness committee we have a committee that is driving all the wellness activities at school and then uh, there there's probably three or four events at school where parents teachers and um of course students are are all engaged in in some sort of physical activity but the the highlight from last year i would say we act we we partnered with the hospital and the hospital showed up and did wellness tests for everybody and wow. there was a huge line of of uh, you know teachers and parents and and, and we didn't we didn't do it to the students because there's some liability work with that and then permissions and so on but uh, we i think that is channeled somewhere else but it was so well welcomed that was amazing like when uh, when <laughs> when people people were like okay now now this is where my you know my readings are and this is where i need to be or this is a blood test that we, i mean there were we actually brought a lot they brought all the equipment on campus and it was uh, free great. of charge yeah yeah so um and it was well welcomed but other activities could be i mean sometimes just a social we have a lot of uh, grade level socials or we have a, a lot of community socials where we open up the facilities bring bring food on campus and let people mingle and 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 chat one of them is like back to school picnic is usually the highlight of people people's uh, start of the year etc so um like i overlook i connect all help connect all the dots when i when i can and then sometimes they organically happen and it's uh, it's amazing when you see that in a community yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of, uh, you know, have, uh, having a relationship with a health uh, institution, be it a clinic or a hospital. And then, you know, that's a great, that's a really interesting uh, way of doing it. One of the things that, you know, with any area of education or any approach to learning or any activities, there are always these myths. You know, we think this is what, you know, and I'm going to ask Aaron, could you Please tell us what's the biggest myth about well-being and pee that you want people to forget. Letty and Mo probably know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> that PE is synonymous with the fitness testing and the mile run and dodgeball. I think those have single-handedly dismantled our profession. And wow, yeah, that would be my. That's pretty powerful. Talk a bit more about that. That's a pretty strong oh, statement, which I. You know, <laughs> Mo and Letty are like, no, don't get him talking on this. <laughs> I just think that we've we've sent the wrong message and that we've made made it very exclusive on something that I, I mean, when the last time, other than Mo, most people don't go run a mile run, mile to see how fast they can run it. And there's there's so many other issues with it that I'll stop there. There's the research piece of it. There's yeah. so many issues with it. But I think if we could, and it's not that I think it's an awful thing. I think if we could get rid of the fact that everybody thinks, ah. Oh, the mile run and dodgeball. The reason I say this, that that classroom teacher class that I teach, the first discussion and assignment we have is tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly of physical education. And at least half of them every semester, the mile run and dodgeball come up. Wow. 
Okay, that's so interesting. Okay, so let's no more do dodgeball, no more mile run. We're gone. We're we're banning that. <laughs> we're making executive decisions here. Thank you, Aaron. Aleti, what is the myth that you want to debunk about well-being and PE in your context or from your experience in your professional journey? Um, well, I would say I've heard a few times anyone can teach PE, you know, like in a way that, uh, oh, that's, oh, that's so easy. That's, uh, oh, anyone can do that. Mm, well, I would like to see them anywhere, you know, with all the chaos or outside with 40 degrees and the kids not even complaining, drinking water super good. When teachers go outside sometimes in Cambodia for a fire drill and after five minutes they start complaining about the heat, it makes me laugh, you know, because we spend the whole day outside. So not everybody can teach PE. You have to have the skills, you have to have the knowledge, you have to be able to understand how the kids learn. There's so many things. It's not just here, play. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's what and, I mean. And thank you for saying that, because I think often uh, if I think of, you know, my PE middle school, both my PE teachers used to smoke on the sideline as we had to run around the pitch. Uh, so, you know, so thank you for that, because, you know, I know from my own experience being in many different schools and a school leader, I always have been so impressed and feel so privileged with what the physical education departments do and their commitment, the long hours, especially if they're doing competition sports and organizing, you know, events for kids, varsity, uh, intramurals, all those things. So thank you, Letty, for sharing that. Mo, what is your myth that, and about well-being and pee that you want to debunk? So I'll, I'll focus on one myth that I really hate uh, in physical and being physically active is... Um, I don't. I don't want to build much more muscles, and that that happens sometimes with the, with the female uh, female uh, participants. But most most of the time, you know, I don't want to build much more muscles. I don't want to be, you know, that that person with buff because I'm gonna do push-ups and so on and so forth. I hate that. And uh, physiologically, you gotta start talking about it, and you have to explain what, how like it's not possible and so on and so forth. So. Thank you. It's just interesting, and I don't know, I think this might be a myth and not a fact, but I heard some years ago that the largest percentage of school leaders generally come from a physical education background. And I don't know if that's true, but I know of, I've worked with a few school leaders that were physical education, and you know, it's about organization, multitasking, so some of the things that Letty you were saying, uh, I think, resonate. This is not a fact. This is maybe a myth, but uh, you're both shaking your heads, Mo and Letty, so maybe I'm right. So that's interesting. I want to thank all three of you. Before we leave, is there something you would like to share to educators and leadership team members, just uh, something for them to walk away and think about on this topic? And it's just so nice to talk about a topic that I think so often is kind of under the radar. And I don't know why we needed COVID for somebody to become more prominent, but uh, that seems uh, kind of the silver lining of the event. So I'll go around to Aaron, Letty, and Mo. Go ahead, Aaron. Any just words of wisdom or reflection? I would just encourage leadership to empower teachers to make these decisions and to take the lead like Letty and Mo have in, in a 
and take the roles of committees and organize this and take this charge and let them um, move forward to inspire kids to to want to be active with a school culture. Thank you, Letty. I want to say that um, taking 10 minutes out of your day for a brain booster or for mindfulness, it's not a waste of time. It's the opposite. It really is going to help your students to be better, more focused and more calm and more ready for whatever you want to teach them because their brains will be fired up. Like it. Fired up brains. Yes. No. Uh, definitely in, in the realm of taking care of yourself, um, teachers need to take care of themselves physically and, and their, you know, their mental health and so on. So they're able to give the, their best, uh, their best, uh, you know, focused, uh, lessons to, to, to their students. So, uh, practice what you preach for sure. Take care of yourself. The, 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 the long hours have, have, have been burdening a lot of people just to, Drop everything, take a break, uh, focus on your mental mental health, and then see how things will work out better, and you'll 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 feel better, and 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 so on. So that's that's my little advice. Yeah. Thank you, all three of you. I just want to remind our audience: uh, Aaron, Letty, and Mo have done a very wonderful job in the show notes. So go to the show notes. They've put all kinds of articles and resources. You can follow them on Twitter, which now is X, as many of us know. But uh, don't uh, forget to check out the show notes and you can read a bit more about their professional journeys. But they have put some wonderful resources that you definitely are going to want to consider or even share with your uh, physical education, well-being and health departments. Thank you so much, all three of you, for being part of this podcast. It's just been wonderful to kind of debunk and really think of this very differently because I think it's so important, especially when we think of all the uh, kind of existential threats that are around us, climate change, AI, all these things that are out there. And as Mo and Letty and Aaron all have said, it's about, you know, finding the balance, well-being, uh, doing exercise that's intrinsically connected to what you believe in and what you can do. So Thank you so much for being part of the international podcast. And thank you to our audience for continuing to share comments and also people reaching out and saying, hey, I have something to share. So uh, we have a LinkedIn page. Make sure you check it out. And if you uh, have something to share or you want to share some comments, we really appreciate it. Dan and I thank you. And uh, Dan will be with us next time.